0: Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Father Mark Mary, Father Malachi. We are the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal and great to be with you again just to catch you up is we're in the we're in the midst of this is part 2 of a four-part series. It's one collective um, one collective series and we want it to be treated as one, but this is part 2 with Father Malachi and we're going to be looking at uh, the name of the series is Who do you say that I am? Catholic response to the transgender question or transgenderism. And Oh, real quick. I'm going to try and recap it and then you can help flesh it out, Father Malachi. So Sounds we good. went through the history. We mm-hmm. went through the history and we began with sort of the origin the, of, the, of the use of the word gender and gen. And we went from there to sort of the 14th century where we start having sex and gender being used um, in the same way, mm-hmm. right? And then we go to 20th century uh, Europe, particularly mm-hmm. England, yeah. Or is this Europe where now, okay, now sex has been sexualized or eroticized. So we we kind of have to start to use, we can't just use sex the way we had been using it for the first, for those last, whatever, couple uh, centuries. And now there's, um. now sex is going to be, now we're going to use male and female. Sex is. Sex uh, and gender. What, sex what? is eroticized, gender is separate and used for male and female. Perfect. And then we go, we keep going and that's early 20th century. Mm-hmm. Mid 20th century, we have this guy, kind of the the focal point of it, is this guy John Mooney, Dr. John Mooney, Correct. right? Mm-hmm. And he's the one who's going to say and publish formally that essentially gender is not it's not biological; it's not a given; it's based off of attitudes, actions. It's essentially social norms, characteristics, yeah, roles. It's an external thing. Correct. Right, and then you uh, talked about how that sort of led into, gave some of the intellectual foundation framework, basically broke down some of the act like the structures and framework, whatever. And in that chaos, was able to sort of come out this, the um, the the breaking down of gender actually being a given, mm-hmm. laid the the foundation for uh, second wave feminism, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And then from that. All right, now we and and so, 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 so then from that, kind of like now there's this war between men and women, and we can do anything that the other can do because our bodies don't really matter. Basically, anatomy is not destiny,
1: that's anatomy no is not that's destiny. The slogan,
0: yeah. and the, and from there, we had is she Judith Butler's one of those,
1: yeah, she's one of the later ones that okay. that ties in the feminism that develops into gender ideology as we would refer to it today mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm.
0: discourse on transgenderism. And we had the idea of, you kind of mentioned the idea of the um, language engineering precedes social engineering, is that Correct. the, the yeah. way of yeah. Verbal phrasing?
1: engineering precedes social engineering.
0: Yep. And so I think it was a great job just showing the way in which we've, the words have been changed and situated and, some, and even manipulated to get us to where we're at. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you think would be important to, to mention from the first one for those who are just sort of... Yeah,
1: I think that um, that summary of basically uh, the world that we're living in now, and some of it I don't have to tell you all because it's already it's your world, you're seeing it every day, but just that the new proposition about the human person that gender is not something connected at all to biology that you can choose and your freedom is the the only determining factor in choosing what's real, what's true, what's good. So what we call relativism is applied to our human nature. And because of that, uh, it ends up in a situation where um, the only thing that is unacceptable is, is somebody making an absolute truth claim about anything um so tolerance is the greatest virtue in society but tolerance means the positive affirmation by everyone else of your use of your freedom to do whatever it is you choose to do with it mm-hmm. um especially in the area of sexuality and your own identity and and that's kind of led into the the what you could look at in the world today as the soft totalitarianism of of this secular Uh, world that has relativism and gender ideology as a part of it so you're free to um, do anything you want but you are not free to disagree with someone who claims that contrary to all scientific or biological appearances that they're a male or they're a female um, when you do that then you become a bigot then you become you know transphobe homophobe uh, there's all sorts of things so they're you're attacked if you disagree with them, but the premise is that anything is permissible. So except for that, except Mm -hmm. for asking for a conversation, except for proposing something different, which is kind of the direction that we want to go in actually today, um, is beginning to look at actually, there is a counter proposal in the sense of a way of understanding our humanity and a way of understanding masculinity, femininity, man and woman. Uh, without having to resort to that being posited as some relationship of essential conflict, of domination, of power struggle, or of radically um, radically independent freedom that has no direction, no purpose, uh, and and that's our proposal is that there is a plan. <laughs> there is a plan. The cry in our hearts, like "Who do you say that I am?" has an answer and um yeah and looking forward to kind of sharing about that here today
0: great if if you're ready to go i'm ready to to listen come on all right <laughs> get it yeah uh, so
1: this question about like who we are is a question about what is the what is the meaning of reality is a question about everything that exists it's like you know this is like going deep way down right um, and As we stand in front of the world that has a lot of confusion and has these different ways of trying to respond to that question, we're not standing empty-handed as a church. We're not standing empty-handed as believers. We're actually standing with the great gift that has been given to us of revelation, the gift that has been revealed to the world, um, both through Scripture and also most beautifully in the incarnation of God becoming one of us. Um, So when we go back, you know, and we're looking for the answers to these questions, science can tell you a lot of things. um, And and here's the deal. Science can give you an account for everything that's out there in the world that it can find and encounter, except for the scientist. Mm. Science could never answer the why of that scientist that's out there you know, bustling about the universe, searching for the truth of the way things work and trying to understand what this is and how it relates to that. And um, there's there's a deeper reality that we find in the human person that sets it apart from the rest of the visible universe as we know it. And um, and And that goes back to the very beginnings. And so I want to jump in at the very beginning, right? I mean, Genesis is... Is the, is the story of this mystery of the creation, the genesis, and even as we're talking about gender, there you go again, genesis, um, the origin, the beginning, the place that something comes from. Uh, and when we look at the world around us and when we look at the revelation that's come to us about this origin of humanity, we do not find simply like a great, sort of uh, analytical, mathematical mind, although obviously this entire cosmos is rocked with the you know symmetry of, of mathematical proportions and all that stuff. But more importantly, what we find at the heart of creation, we find at that beginning is the heart of, of love, which is the Trinity, the heart of love and authentic love that cannot contain itself And because it desires to share the goodness of its being, its goodness has to pour out into new life, into this creative work, or I say has to, actually it's gratuitous, um, that this gift of creation comes from the heart of love that's in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It pours out into creation. And in that pouring out, there is a moment on the journey of creating everything that is in that moment takes a decisive turn when it comes to the creation of the human person. And at this moment, you know, Genesis 1, you know, is, is when you find this first moment and God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And this image and likeness um, in Latin, imago dei, the image of God that man bears is not simply that um, you know, we're really good at you know, like figuring stuff out and we're reasonable beings, um, although that's part of it. Reason is certainly part of it. The deepest truth about that for us is that there is an invitation and a call that's written into our very flesh. Everything else does exist and has life, but there is a sharing that happens in this gift of the image of God that's placed in humanity, and it's a sharing not just of this life at a natural animal level, but this spiritual reality, this dimension that makes each of us capable of the thing that we're all looking for, and that is love. Like I mean, you know, obviously nobody has to convince anybody that love is important for a human being. Like, there's absolutely, you know, the top nine out of ten of every top hundred list of songs. Um, you know, every movie, uh, by and large, has some element of this romantic, this desire for relationship intimacy. And even if it's not the intimacy of love between man and a woman, there's the intimacy of real friendships. You know, um, that are part of that. We long for relationship. We long for communion, and. There's no wonder, because we're made in the image of a God who is an eternal communion of love. It's like, this is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's written into our humanity. And so this is the gift that has been given. So the dignity of the human person and the image that we bear, more than anything else, it's a capacity inside of us for relationship with God. And and it's not just any type of relationship, but a relationship of love. And the impact of that and the consequences are bound up with the fact that we're free, the fact that we are able to recognize ourselves as, as existing in this world, as a, as a person that's different. You know, it's like I run into, you know, um, a tree and I see the tree and I'm like, whoa, that's beautiful. And I'll go over and I try and say, hey, Mr. Tree, how you doing? Good morning. And there's absolutely no response. There's no consciousness, even though there's life there. And yet we have this gift of being aware. I can meet another person, whoever they are on planet earth. I can look into their eyes and I can see the presence of something more, something more than just the physical, something more than, than just the material. Um, and this image and likeness of God is given to us. And this gift is manifested in the fact that God creates us as man, as woman, as male and female. And that same passage is where we find that, that line where, where God says, you know, let us make him in our image. And he does that. In the divine image, he creates humanity. Male and female, he created them. So from the beginning, this difference is there. And... If we're standing in front of the mystery of life without knowing that it's possible for there to be a union when there's something that's different, then we're gonna look at difference as as a Marxist or as the world does. Difference means conflict. We only get along if we're all the same. And difference um, means inequality, but not here, not here, not in revelation, not in creation. And that's because the difference that is given to us as men and women is oriented fundamentally to a unity, a unity of love. And so God makes male and female uh, not to create some ongoing eternal battle of the sexes. God creates male and female so that we can realize both spiritually and physically the communion that we're made for. And in that experience in our humanity of love and of communion and relationship between man and woman, we are able to taste and see what the destiny ultimately will be, which is the eternal communion of love that all of us are called to by relationship with God. So part of this, if we're going to love, means that we've got the gift of freedom. And this freedom that's been given to us is there because we have to be able to make a gift of ourselves to one another. You know, uh, St. John Paul the Great wrote about this um, in a lot of different places during his life, but he talked about this law of the gift. And the uh, Second Vatican Council has a great line that he quoted again and again in his works that speaks about this And the law of the gift is this, it's that I can only actually fully know who I am, fully discover what I'm made for when I give myself away as a gift to another. And that's another way of saying when I give myself in love to another. And this giving and receiving of one another in love is the fundamental human call. And the fullest expression of that or the the most visible, concrete expression of that is when a man and a woman come together. And it's written into the body. You can see it. You know, there's all these things about our body that have these cool different systems and the way that they work. Your neurological system, you know, it's like the endocrine system. You know, we've got like all these different organs, the digestive system. All of them work in themselves in each human person except for the reproductive system. It needs another. It's incomplete without the other. It finds its fulfillment, its realization of its purpose. It discovers the why in the difference that's found in the other. Man finds in woman the difference that allows that gift of his capacity to bring life into the world, to know how it's meant to be expressed and what it's meant to be expressed for. And at the same time, woman discovers the same thing. And that's why in the second chapter of Genesis, when Adam is wandering around lonely in the garden, he's got a beautiful place to hang out. He can do whatever he wants, but he's all alone. God says, it's not good to be alone. He gives him the gift of Eve. And when he sees her, right? It's like, at last, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Adam discovers in woman the other who he's capable of having this relationship of love with, the other that he's capable of making a gift of himself to, the other that he's capable of realizing his call to communion with, and she in turn finds the same in him. And the two, as we know, is there, come together to become one flesh, And this is not merely the giving of a body because there's something that is deeper in the human person, the spiritual dimension. I realize that I'm giving something more than just my body. When I'm giving my body, I'm giving my very self. And it's the body that makes it possible. It's the body that manifests that difference and reveals the person. And so the body is not accidental add-on. Rather, it's concrete, essential expression of what is most real and true about us. I mean, we could look in the non-personal world around us and recognize that, right? Like you look at and you realize that like this rock by its very substance and way of expressing itself materially in the world reveals what it is. Or this horse does the same thing. And when we look at man and we look at woman, our bodies do that. They reveal, they reveal two things. They reveal the difference, male and female, but they also reveal that there's a deeper reality. There's a conscious person. There's someone over there who is able to do what I'm able to do, recognize who they are, self-awareness, have a possession of who they are, this sort of determining, that's where the freedom comes in. We talked about the idolizing of freedom before in episode one, but this is where freedom is meant to operate. Its purpose, its you know, intention in God's plan, um, and that freedom lets me know that I'm able to direct my actions. So I'm a person. I have awareness of myself, possession of myself, and I determine my life in the way that I choose, live, and act. And when I come in contact with another being that's like me in that way. I recognize that difference between the person who's there and the rock who's there. So the material order revealing the spiritual, revealing the invisible. And so we have this difference, um, and it's beautiful. It's oriented to this communion of love, that communion of love between man and woman that's intended to be the gift in marriage, open to this wonderful mystery of bringing new life into the world, procreation. Um, This gift points to the heart that we just were speaking of that lies at the foundation of creation, the heart of love that is the Trinity. And it echoes it, and it directs us to it, and it draws its life from it. And and this is the plan. This is the purpose. This is the why for the difference that is there. The difference is oriented to that relationship of love that we've been made for. Um, Now, we all know, though, that our experience is very often different than that in the world we're living in. The battle of the sexes, you know, is a movie not too long ago, right? Like this, you know, looking back at a 1970s tennis match, um, we see this, this tension, and we do see real injustice, and we see a brokenness, and it's like, what the heck's going down there? Um, and fundamentally, that's pointing to a brokenness in relationship, and that brokenness in relationship goes back to this beginning, where man and woman that are made for a relationship with God have unfortunately been deceived into believing somehow that God is not good, that God is not a loving father, that God doesn't really want your true fulfillment and happiness. So you need to grasp it yourself. Can't trust him. He's holding back. And because of that lie, that fundamental lie, which is that I can't trust this other person. I can't trust this God who says you can have everything except for this. Um, I can't believe that he wants to share everything with me. So I'm gonna take it for myself. And in this breakdown of relationship with the father who has created us for a relationship with him, A fundamental change happens in all of reality. There's a breakdown that occurs in all relationship. Because if my relationship to the very source of love that created everything has been ruptured, then I am surely going to experience a breakdown in my capacity to love and be in relationship with other people, especially men and women, with creation itself. And with myself, a rupture that actually impacts the relationship I have to my own self, my own recognition of of who I am, and the way that the body is a revelation, a manifestation of my person, there's a disconnect, there's a disorder that enters into reality and it kind of radiates out, it ripples. And and so we see that. We see this fall that occurs, you know, I mean there it is in chapter three, whereas before Adam, Eve stand before each other naked without shame, each of their bodies transparently communicating the fullness of who they are and the gift that they are for one another. Now they see one another, they feel shame, they have to hide because the other person is no longer a gift to me, but someone that I can use or that could use me. And so I must cover up, I must hide what was meant to originally say that you're made for love and I'm made for you in love. Um, so so maybe before we, we go on, that's, there's this, you know, this rupture that is entered in. And the way that that has impacted us is it has impacted the relationship with God, our ability to see his goodness as a loving father. It has impacted our relationship between men and women. And that's something that, you know, the, the sort of the curses that come, the, the negative consequences of that rebellion and that sin, that choice by man and woman to say we're not going to serve God, we're going to take for ourselves and put ourselves in the place of God. The the results of that, right, is this uh, the enmity that comes between man and woman, and also for man and creation as well. You know, it says here that the woman's urge will be for the husband and the husband shall be your master. It says that the man is no longer going to work the garden that he was entrusted with um, without effort, without sweat, that this rupture between humanity and creation also exists. And, And we see that play out in so many ways in the world. And that injustice that comes as a result, that brokenness that comes as a result, has developed into the very structures of sin that... The feminist movement recognizes and rightfully wants to change, but there's a disconnect from the original plan of God. And there's an attempt still going on to say, let's do this on our own. Let's make our own heaven, our own utopia, our own perfect world. Um, And unfortunately we fail to recognize that the meaning of the body is this call to communion, is this invitation to relationship with one another. And, and we say, no, there is no meaning, um, but God has a different word that he's spoken over us. And, and this word goes back to the beginning. Um, so just to, to recap that, I'd say as we're moving into this question about gender, we're moving into this question about identity, we're moving into this question about men, women, masculinity and femininity, uh, we have to recognize both where we've come from, but also that rupture and that brokenness that's present because it allows us to see uh, the disordered ways that our humanity is is functioning. Um, and because of that, you know, it's kind of like if you go to the doctor and you're sick and you can't figure out the why, then there's not a capacity to figure out what to do, how it is that we're meant to be healed, to made whole. Um, And this brokenness in relationship with God and with one another is made whole by the union of God and humanity that happens in the person of Jesus Christ. It's like God loved us so much, even the fact that we screwed up and we made a mess of things is not enough to keep him from being in relationship with us. He sends the son to reveal to us again what it means to live in relationship to the Father as beloved children and what the purpose of our humanity is. And He reveals to us what that identity is that we have in Him, um, this perfection of humanity. And, you know, again, uh, Second Vatican Council beautifully said, you know, it's only in the light of the mystery of the Word made flesh of Christ that we can understand who we are meant to be as human beings, which is a gift of love in relationship to God and to one another. And the body is part of that gift. And the difference between male and female is a manifestation of that gift, that image of God. Um, And we see that from the beginning and we see Christ coming to redeem it to make all things new, um, I'd have to say that uh, one of the questions that comes out of this is, okay, great. So you got male, you got female. Um, You have this beautiful plan of God, but you also have this brokenness that we see in the world around us. Um, How is it that you can claim that the God who is all powerful and everything somehow could just be limited to male and female? (laughs) How is it that, uh, you know, if Jesus Christ is the full expression of humanity's perfection and he's a male, then where does that leave women? Second-class citizens? Um, and we have to recognize, you know, what what masculinity and femininity are and what they are not. Um, and-
0: so I think we're... We're transitioning for a second to sort of another phase. So maybe before we make that full movement, I'm going to recap or try to recap a little bit, see if I'm hearing you right, and you can sort of help flesh it out, nuance it correct. Cool? Sounds great. Okay. I think, I think I really love, I've never really heard it worded that way. What we're, 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 we're looking at the scientist. Right, the the meaning, mm-hmm. the origin of and the destiny of the scientist. But like you said, I think beautifully like science offers so much insights in so many different areas of creation and the world and stuff like that, but they don't answer the deepest questions about the scientist. And but the the, the science of theology, like divine revelation, reveals mm-hmm. to us this truth. And we've named the this series, like Who Do You Say That I Am? Mm-hmm. Right from from Matthew sixteen. And this is What what this is, uh, I think, um, just putting out the practice so beautifully is um, that's why that question is so important to Jesus is when Jesus asked this question to Peter, right? Who do you say that I am? Mm -hmm. Is that the, the fullness, fullest answer of who Simon is, who Peter is, is going to be found in the answer of who Jesus is, right? And that only Mm -hmm. Jesus can reveal the fullness of Peter to Peter. Mm -hmm. And that's that's why we want to begin this discussion about who we are, what we're about, where we're going, how we get there, all of that. It begins with looking at the Trinity. It begins with mm-hmm. looking at God because being made in the image and likeness of God, God himself reveals to us ultimately who we are. Yeah. And part of what, what the conflict that we're gonna come across, as you talked about with um, with gender ideology, which it seems to have its its roots very much in the sort of the, the feminist movement or the, like the second wave feminist movement, if you called it, right? Yeah. They're, they're pretty...
1: Yeah, there's different labels. Somebody might call it radical feminist
0: because there are some that would be a feminist but not hold all those tenets. Sure. And, and so, but some of, the, some of the breakdown of trying to break down all the differences, it comes from some, some experienced tensions and some experienced injustices. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad you said it. Like, yeah, you know what? There are times in which these are real and these might, yeah. and these are true. You yeah. know, and and injustices have been, or 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 that that men in different places have, have misused their role, their authority, whatever it is, and, mm-hmm. and, and in a way which is unjust towards women. And I'm I'm glad that you're able to say that. Mm-hmm. So we're not we're not going to undo that whole um, the movement to remedy that. Mm-hmm. But but there is a right way. Mm-hmm. There is a right way. Yeah, and. The if I can say this, this might be too much of an aside, but I hope it's not. Is I've been really because one of the things you you, you mentioned when we look at the Trinity, we see um, uniqueness, but 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 unity. Mm-hmm. Like the three persons of the Trinity are still one, and we see this in in man and woman that there's there's difference, mm-hmm. but there's complementarity. Mm-hmm. And I never I've never thought about that before, or heard of it before. Just the idea that the sexual the reproductive system is a unique system and that it needs its fulfillment in another mm-hmm. and that they are again that are in a certain sense it, it really sort of um, reveals and highlights the idea that there is this the complementarity between men and women according to God's plan brings about a fullness that we can't achieve on our own mm-hmm. is that that's true
1: yeah absolutely I mean and it it even goes deeper than the physical as well, because um, I'd like to, yeah, to to talk about this deeper level. It, it has to do with the way that we see the world, the way that we relate to the world. Um, it's formed by the body that we've been given and the nature that that is, and so. Uh, when we're we're looking at man and woman, we're looking at this, you know, the incarnation of the human person into two different forms, the male and the female. Um, This one human nature manifests itself in these two unique ways, these different ways. And it has this purpose of that fulfillment, this realization of coming together in communion of love that is open to the gift of life. Um, And that difference is something that goes... Deep, because the body is not simply an appendage to the person, but an expression of that person. And so it goes to the heart, it goes to the core, it goes to the depths of who we are. Um, And yet it doesn't mean, and this is kind of the, the tension, right? So one of the critiques that comes across when you start talking about masculinity and femininity and what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman is like, um, the critique of stereotypes, the critique of rigidity, the critique of putting me in a box, the critique of anatomy becoming destiny, the critique of this, like, this rigid determinism, you know, like this is who I am. And it's like, well, um, there's some truth in the critique. Uh, and in fact, you know, like Pope Francis, he, he spoke about this himself, where he said, you know, guess what? Like, we can't separate masculine and feminine from God's work of creation, and it, because it's prior to all of our decisions, all of our experiences, um, and where there are biological elements that exist, those are impossible to ignore. You can't just step away from those. But he says, and I'm quoting him here, he says, but it is also true that masculinity and femininity are not rigid categories. Does that mean that they're not categories? Absolutely not. Um, and I'd like to present to us here in this point in the conversation, a couple of big-time thinkers that have written so much about this. The first is one of the first-wave feminists who is a canonized saint, uh, Edith Stein, or St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross. She became a Carmelite.
0: Real quick, can you explain? We've been using the word second-wave feminism. What is what is first-wave feminism? What are, what are we talking about?
1: Okay, so, um, I mean, starting as early as 17th century uh, or 1700s, there are women who are working for equality in education and voting and access to public representation, leadership, jobs, etc. And this is this first wave, it's the suffraging movement, it's those who are trying to fight against real injustices that are present in the society. Um, that's distinguished from, and so their goal was kind of equality at the social, economic, political level. The goal of second wave feminism, or I would rather say radical version thereof, is the complete um, eradication of difference and any type of recognition that men and women were somehow inherently different. And in fact, the the obstacle, so seeing that patriarchy is something that has influenced everything, and in order to be liberated from it, we have to destroy all of the structures of the patriarchy and motherhood and family and marriage are all part of that structure, so they all need to be destroyed to create a genderless um, society, where being male or female has no bearing on anything. Um, and you know that's a little bit of a simplification, but for the sake of time, that's, that's kind of what the second wave is going towards, which is something very radical that grows into gender ideology. Um, so Edith Stein's a first wave feminist, and she knew what it meant as a woman to suffer the consequences of the injustice and inequality that is was present and continues in different ways to be present in the world and needs to be fought against. Um, You know, She had a doctorate in philosophy, was one of the brightest students in her time and could not get a job teaching in a university because women weren't allowed. So she starts doing speaking tours and going around and giving conferences that are treating the subject of woman. What does it mean to be a woman? And in the context of that also talking about what does it mean to be a man? Um, and she's, she recognizes the difference and says "Beautiful." So she says, "You know, by virtue of our embodied existence, meaning we have bodies, flesh, we're not just spirits floating around um, By virtue of that, the fundamental beginning point for man and woman is essentially different. Uh, the way that we experience the world through our body is different as men and as women. And um, this next episode with Dr. Greg, we're going to really dive deep on that. It's different. And because it's different, there are things that are more naturally uh, easy or a propensity that becomes something that's the the trajectory that the majority of men or the majority of women will move towards. And that manifests itself in job occupations. It manifests itself in relationships with one another. So there are these differences. And again, I'm going to flesh out the details of those differences next episode. But there's this masculinity and femininity and it's this set of characteristics, aptitudes, you know, tendencies that are, that are distinct for men and for women. And they're distinct because of that relationship to bringing new life into the world, motherhood, fatherhood. Um, they're distinct because of the way that we experience that capacity to bring life differently in our bodies. A woman from, you know, puberty onwards. So menopause is going to monthly be reminded of the fact that she's capable of bringing new life into the world. Whereas a man doesn't have that ongoing reminder. And so what does it remind her of? It reminds her of the value, the dignity of life itself. And this is where we talk about this, you know woman being naturally one who nurtures or who sees the good of persons, personal being, and appreciates that. Um, and, and so these differences are there. And you know, man, this sort of external focus, a certain detachment that's there, Objectivity, not in the sense that he you know, doesn't have emotions, but there's a distance between him and the emotions. And again, we're talking about gen- general characteristics and they lead you down a pathway that is naturally moving in a certain direction. However, and this is the beauty of um, what Ia Stein brought to the table. She said, when we look at masculinity and femininity, we have to recognize that though they provide us with different beginning points, those beginning points offer a wide range of possibilities for their development and so even though my family might be a group of people who typically are athletic that does not mean i can't pick up a guitar and learn how to play a guitar even if it does come as naturally and i might need to work at it more or it doesn't mean that there might not be somebody in that very same family who is more artistic and less athletic so there's In that sense, this is the good type of spectrum that we wanna affirm because we're not rejecting the fact that each person is unique, but we are at the same time rejecting the lie that you don't have a gift of a nature that's been given to you by God as man and as woman. And so you're developing this and what is it being developed towards? It's being developed towards this integration that the values and the giftedness that man has and that woman has in their nature is meant to grow and mature, and you know it, it. It's the the power of God and the tenderness of God are not in contradiction with one another, and in the human person, they're not meant to be in contradiction. So there is a a recognition of the value of life and a seeing other persons that that woman can bring and offer to man to educate his heart um, about about what is the greatest good in this world, which is life. Uh, and her her capacity to bring that life into the world again and again through motherhood is, is one of the things that forms her experience. But in that experience is freedom. And the freedom means that these human characteristics and traits, some of which come more naturally to men or to women, were both able to develop and were actually called to develop. Um, again, I'll dive more deeply next episode into this relationship between those two but that's that's this beautiful recognition that we have a nature that's given in some sense you could say the stage is set for your life through the gift of being created as man or woman but on that stage as the actor the protagonist of your life you can do a lot of things and this is a place where the church and society at different points has really failed in an attempt to defend the difference allowing that to be twisted into a rigidity that doesn't allow for the uniqueness to exist and that's perhaps part of what gender ideology is responding against in the same way we spoke about feminism responding against real injustice Um, so so there's this wide room for different expressions of it but there is a real beginning point that is distinct Uh, and And today the church is, it's seeking to interact with what's happening currently is fleshing out this in in a fuller detail than it already has. So, um, you know, again, like ideology, gender ideology, I I just really quickly before saying anything else, I, I realized that in the first episode, I forgot to mention that a lot of people call into question the phrase itself. And they would say that you're just making that up. The Catholic Church has created the idea of an ideology; it doesn't exist. Um, so, just a quick—you know—I want to talk about the church's response to and writing about gender ideology in the current world we're in right now. But I also would like to recognize um, or, or, or basically, defend the the name itself, gender ideology. Uh, And and what's an ideology? It is a group of ideas, worldview, that characterize an epic or a group of people that have political and social aims as its goal of changing um, the the cultural context in which it exists. And those that adhere to this worldview are exactly doing that. That's why we're calling it an ideology. And it's also ideological when it's detached from or in contradiction to concrete evidence of nature, science, Reality, Uh, the idea becomes more real than what is concrete and in front of me. And instead of allowing the idea to be purified, changed or adapted to reality, I try to adapt reality to the idea. And I do that by force and eventually by violence um, and through an authoritarian, totalitarian approach to society which is exactly what what has happened through legal recourses and political structures in different places in Western countries. Um, So the church is responding to this because it sees it as a threat to the good of humanity. And why does it see it as a threat to the good of humanity? Because it's a threat to our fundamental identity as men and women who have been made in the image and likeness of God and called to fulfill that humanity through a gift of love to one another and to God himself. And the place that you learn what you've been made for and the place that you're meant to discover the truth of who that person is that you are and your own uniqueness is the family. And the family is the place that is under assault right now because of this. Um, so the church is trying to respond to the things that are true or that maybe you say the, the contentions of this movement that have a basis in reality, if that's the case, we wanna talk about that and we wanna address it. Real discrimination, we wanna go after that. Real injustice, we wanna go after that. Um, you know, real situations where a stereotype is being forced into the lives of people in such a way that there's a violence done against their own unique humanity, we wanna address that. We're, we're totally on board with that but we're just not on board with the response of the human person that goes back to that first rupture with God in which we say, I will not acknowledge my life as a gift. I will not acknowledge the creator as the one who has given me that gift. I will live my life as my own, according to my own Choice, my own determination of what's good, what's evil, what's right, what's wrong. There is no one who will tell me what to do. The rebellion in the human heart against being the creature before the Creator is present in this, you know. And and the Holy Fathers have talked about this. Um, they've spoken about how we're we're doing just that. We're we're sort of trying to buck the the. The truth of who we are. And, you know, Pope Benedict talked about this and he said, you know, talking about gender as it's been developed, he says basically, and I'm quoting here, that what is often expressed and understood by the term gender ultimately ends up being man's attempt at self emancipation from creation and the creator. Man wants to be his own master and alone, always and exclusively, to determine everything that concerns him. So, we're fighting against that because when I do that, when I cut myself off from God, I cut myself off from my origin and my destiny. I cut myself off from the greatest dignity that I have as a capacity for relationship with the father. I cut myself off from the authentic source of my identity. And so what do you end up with? You end up with a world in which people are wandering about, seeking to find an identity and lost. And this ideological movement is moving into them and saying, oh, you desire this? Oh, you're confused about this? That's your identity. That's who you are. And unfortunately, that untruth um, about the identity that we have and the untruth about the freedom and what freedom is really for is leading many, many people into confusion, into suffering that, that God does not desire, the church does not desire. And, and we're called to speak the truth and love into this situation. Um, so I, I guess I'd just like to, to wrap up here with what we've been speaking about in regard to the church's response to see that the church is desirous of recognizing that the tensions that have existed and the differences between men and women, that's real and we want the unjust structures to be changed, but we deny that the difference is simply a social construct. We want to acknowledge that you could even perhaps talk about gender and sex as, you could draw distinctions uh, between the two words, but to say that gender is radically separate and has no connection to biological sex is something that we say no, and not just us, but science says no. Um, I mean, nature says no, Um, you know, and we also want to say that the idea that somehow my consciousness can exist separate from or distinct from my body, that that my body is not me and that somehow I can manipulate it and use it as an object. If I don't think that it's what it ought to be, then I can mutilate it or put hormones into it to change it. No, because this is a gift that's been given from God. And it is, in fact, the manifestation of the person that we are. Um, and and also just like to say as well that the uh, the givenness that each of us has in our nature is not meant as a limit. It's rather meant to be the the very uh, the field on which you know, the sort of you know, the game of life is unfolds. like the givenness of your nature is this place in which your freedom is meant to be exercised to be fully alive fully human which ultimately means to be in a full relationship with god and with one another that is founded on the identity that each of us have as beloved children of him Um, and anything that comes against that we're going to stand up and speak against and anything that tries to obfuscate or confuse the reality of who we are as men and women we're gonna stand against. And so the church is not the enemy of, you know, people who experience, um, you know, gender identity in different ways and struggles and confusion or, or simply don't identify with the normal sort of stereotypical version of male or female. Uh, no, the church sees those people and says, yeah, like we want you, we choose you but we also recognize that there's something about who you are that's revealed in the gift of your nature, which came from God and can't simply be erased uh, or changed by, by use of you know hormones or changing the way that I dress or, or a surgery. No, there's a deeper reality in each of us and we wanna recognize and bring that out. Um, and it might not look just the same for everybody and that's totally okay. Uh, but nonetheless, the truth for each of us is we've been given this nature as men and as women uh, in order to live as sons and daughters of the Father.
0: Great. So I think what we're, we're kind of um, leaning up to a part where we're when we start answering some very sort of, we're getting to some of the nitty gritty. The, we've laid yeah. a lot of the foundation. Mm-hmm. And I think where we're, we're, we're headed to, particularly with Dr. Greg next uh, next episode, the like, okay, so I'm a guy, I'm a girl. Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: can I wear, can a guy wear a pink shirt kind of stuff? Like, mm-hmm. we're almost kind of getting some, like some of the nitty gritty questions. Is that is that where we're headed yeah, next week? definitely. But I think uh, you beautifully laid out again, reminded us um, in the first episode, sort of the history of gender ideology. Mm-hmm. And I th- I think today you did really uh, a great job of, again, just sort of recognizing and identifying what, what an ideology is. Mm-hmm. And to, like, no, that's definitely what, is that work right now? Yep. And then again, just this this reminder that, and I think it's so important because I, I imagine that many people who are listening to this, they they hear big voices and famous voices or voices mm-hmm. with a big platform, a lot of authority, uh, basically um, advocating for the gender ideology mm-hmm. worldview. Yep. And sometimes, like, well, like they can feel inadequate to respond, mm. but the church, like you said, the church has a response and has the response Mm -hmm. and to the church has been entrusted the final, the the ultimate answer to to who we are, where Mm -hmm. we came from, where we're headed. And we're gonna kind of keep getting into that. But I think it's beautiful just that we, we can stand firm on the rock of the truth. We can stand firm in the truth Mm -hmm. and not be afraid of all these voices that are saying something Mm -hmm. different.
1: Yeah, there's a scripture verse that just comes to mind as you were saying that. um, And it's, uh, heaven endure shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The word that's been spoken by the father um, in revelation, that's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, we can look back in history and see so much has changed, but the truth of God's love for creation and the invitation that he's made to us to live in relationship with him and, the nature that he's given us and the truth and meaning that's inherent in that, that's not changing. Um, And and that's good news because it offers us the pathway to the full freedom uh, that we all long for, which is the freedom to be able to love in the fullest capacity as a human being we could ever have, which is the experience of being in a loving relationship with God as a good and gracious Father, which He is for each of us, His beloved children.
0: Great. Anything else before we close with a prayer? And um, yeah, no,
1: bro. I mean, I think uh, I think we're gonna keep trekking on. This is uh, it's been it's been good, and there's a lot more to come. So stay with us. All right, beautiful. Do You want to close us? Yeah. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, father in heaven. It's your heart, uh, the heart of love between you and the Son, the heart of love, the gift of the Spirit that has poured out into all of creation. Lord, that heart that has made each of us, chosen each of us by name, knows each of us to the core, uh, knows the deepest, deepest truth of our identities. Lord, we pray for that heart to again, Um, envelop this world and pray for any and all of us who are struggling to know that truth. We pray for you, Jesus, to come again, to come afresh, enter this world and bring us the truth that gives authentic freedom. Bring us also, Lord, the justice that we long for, the righting of the wrongs that we see in our world, the brokenness, the healing, deliverance. We pray for all of that through the prayers of our blessed mother, Mary. Pray, Hail Mary, full, full of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. With blessed art thou among women, women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.
0: All right, God bless y'all. God bless.